Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Amen. Hey, let's start with a question this morning. All right? Got a question for you. What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know the answer to that? You can say it out loud. It's okay. What is the chief end of man? Hey, there we go. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you have been here to hear me preach before, you've probably heard this phrase and are getting sick of it. That's okay. We're not actually going to talk about it that much this morning. But today, we do have the opportunity to experience the joy of our salvation. We have that opportunity every time we get the chance to consider the depths of our salvation. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you don't start checking in to the sermon until the text is already read. Or maybe if it's a longer text, it's like halfway through the text and then you start to to tune in. If you do that this morning, you're going to miss what God has for you. All right? This morning, our goal is to glorify God by enjoying him. It isn't to learn, though you may learn something. It isn't even to grow, though you may grow. I hope you do. But our goal this morning is to experience God and to experience the joy of our salvation. And I simply can't do better than the text of the scripture. I'm a decent public speaker. I'm not better than the scriptures themselves. If you do not check in, you're going to miss out on the experience of the joy of your salvation this morning. Now it's a longer text, so let me set the scene for us. It's a narrative-based text, so it's always good to have a little bit of background. Around the years of 6 to 2 BC in a small village called Nazareth in a region of Israel called Galilee, there lived a young woman named Mary. Mary wasn't anybody special in particular. She was just a woman. Um, She was a virgin. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. These are facts that we know about her. We don't know much about her character before this story, but we do know from learning about her in this story that she seems to be a woman of pretty high character, humble, faithful, just a virtuous woman. Regardless, we know that the Lord, for whatever reason, highly favored her. We know this because there was an angel that came to her one day when she was going about her routine. We don't know if it was during the daytime. We don't know if it was in the evening, but there appeared before her an angel, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God. And she was confused and a bit dismayed because she didn't know what kind of a greeting this was going to be. She's seeing an angel of the Lord, and sometimes this is good, and sometimes this isn't good. And so she's a little bit afraid, and he had a message for her. It was one of tremendous joy and importance. She was going to have a baby. 
Now, that news in and of itself wasn't that shocking. She was a young woman. She was about to be married. It's natural to think, yeah, okay, I will probably will have a baby. What was strange, though, was that this baby was not going to come by the natural means by which we all know babies come from. This was going to come from a different source. This is going to come from the Holy Spirit himself. As a matter of fact, she would be finding herself with child immediately, not after she was married to Joseph. And this word was just a bit unsettling, as you can all imagine. What lightened this for her was that this child was not just another child. No, this child was the promised holy Messiah, the holy one of Israel, the one who'd been spoke of since the Garden of Eden. She was going to become the mother of God on earth. And her response, even though she was shocked, was to say, Lord, let it be done to me as you have said. Now, that wasn't an easy thing to say or do because she's still an unmarried pregnant woman. And in those times especially and in that culture, that carried with it a lot of baggage and a lot of weight that she wanted no part of, nobody would want part of. So she goes to visit her cousin. Her cousin's name's Elizabeth. Elizabeth herself has a pretty miraculous thing going on. She was pretty old, be well beyond the years of normal childbearing, and yet she also found herself with child. Her child had also been prophesied about by an angel Lots of angels in this story. Her son would be the one who would reveal the coming of the Messiah. Indeed, even when Mary visited her, this son proved that he was going to live up to that because as far as we know, he's the very first human to actually worship the Savior while she's still in the stomach of Mary. Mary comes before Elizabeth, tells her of her situation, and Elizabeth gets happy, so happy that the baby inside of her jumps for joy at knowing that, that he's in the presence of God come to earth. And Elizabeth blesses Mary. And Mary, without prompting Elizabeth to do so, Mary is comforted by Elizabeth's words. So she returns home. And, of course, Joseph notices what's happening. And how do you think he feels about it? the woman that you were engaged to all of a sudden becomes pregnant and you know that the baby couldn't possibly be yours, how would you feel about it? That's exactly how he felt about it. Being a man of such devout faith and a good and just man, it wasn't even right for him to consider continuing on with this engagement, this marriage to come. He found himself in a very odd position because he also didn't want to disgrace her. So he planned to quietly end the arrangement and not embarrass her. And then an angel of the Lord, like I said, there's a lot of angels in this story. There's more to come, don't worry. Then an angel of the Lord comes to him 
middle of the night, says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Look, this thing that's happened to Mary, it's God's doing. And he tells Joseph the same thing that he told Mary about the Holy One of Israel. And Joseph decides to carry on with the marriage. After all, he's been chosen too. He gets to be the father of God on earth. This is where our text for the day actually begins. What I just told you was Luke 1. And now we're going to read 40 whole verses of Luke 2. 40 whole verses. You know, the kiddos get these little sermon note things. They're actually pretty useful. Up here it says who's speaking. I'm not sure that that's so important. But down here what it says is, what is the, what is the main passage of our reading today? It says book, chapter, verse. So I'm just going to answer these for you right here. The book that we're reading out of is the book of Luke. The chapter that we're going to be reading is chapter 2. The verses that we're going to be reading are verses 1 through 40. But they're not going to be on the screen for you like we normally do. And there's a reason. On this passage here, it talks, it asks a bunch of questions. And one of them is, what words did you hear but you don't know? What are you learning about from the passage today? The truth of the matter is, this passage is really long. And if I put it up on the screen, I'm afraid you're going to miss the point of it. I want you to prepare yourselves to hear this story. I want you to imagine the characters. I want you to imagine the setting. I want you to let yourself actually be taken into the text. For some of you, you're gonna have to close your eyes. For some of you, you can do it just looking at me, that's fine. But I want you to put yourself into this story and I want you to hear it with fresh ears, the story that's become so common because I don't want you to miss what God has for us today. There is tremendous joy in this passage. Tremendous joy. People are experiencing it all around. And for those of us in here today who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we ought to also experience this joy when we read this text. So let's prepare our souls. Let's prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, do come. The long-awaited King, come. Come like you have before in our hearts and our souls and minister to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a sentence should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, 
there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child and who heard the shepherd's story and and all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then... It was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple, And she was the daughter of Phenuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow 
to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There, the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Father God, thank you for this story, and thank you for your word. God, help us to experience the joy that we see these individuals having in this chapter. Forgive us, God, where we have fallen short of that, and give us Give us the joy of our salvation. I thank you for your gift to the world. I thank you for this story. And Lord, as we unpack it just a little bit here, would you pierce our very souls, Lord Jesus? And would you let us walk away today not just having heard a sermon, not just having sang some songs, but actually having had an encounter and an experience with the living God and feeling the joy that we ought to feel whenever we think about the salvation that has come to us. Would you do that for us, Lord Jesus, today? Amen. Now, what we just read were the first days of Jesus' life. Perhaps maybe a couple weeks at, at most. I don't know how long passed between the, you know, the eighth day where he was circumcised and when he went to be dedicated to the Lord. I, I know they had to travel to Jerusalem for that to happen. I don't know how long that took. So probably the first couple weeks of his life. What's interesting is Luke doesn't exactly focus and center the whole story around Jesus. Like these first two weeks of Jesus' life, are actually centered more around the people with whom Jesus comes into contact with. And I think there's a great deal for us to learn from their encounters. Each one of them was very different. They come from different backgrounds. And yet every single one of them, even including his own mother and father, have the same reaction to Jesus being born, and that's overwhelming joy. Now, perhaps... As far as Mary and Joseph are concerned, you might be like, well, of course they felt joy. They, they just had a son. They just had a baby. For those of us in here who are parents, we're like, yeah, we, we get that. We've had our own children before, and we understand the joy that comes with that. I'm not talking about that type of joy. Yes, I, they were human. Yes, I'm sure they did have that type of joy. That's not the type of joy that I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about an unprecedented type of joy, a type of joy that happened then that had never happened before and that hasn't happened even since. It's an overwhelming type of joy. It's not the type of joy that you or I get whenever our team that we've followed our whole life wins a championship. It's not the type of joy that you get when you get a promotion at work. It's not the type of joy that you or I get whenever we see a loved one that we haven't seen for the first time in a long time. It's all together different. Now, I also want you to notice what it produces. 
in all the individuals that weren't Mary and Joseph, the joy was so overwhelming that they simply couldn't contain it. Let's take a look at these, let's take a look at these, these sets of people that, that we see here. The first is the shepherds. The shepherds hear from this angel. They go. They're probably thinking they're half crazy as they're going. And yet, just as the angel told them, here's this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's oddly specific for that to have just been a coincidence. Most of the time when you go into a stable or a barn, you don't expect to see a baby lying in a manger. So this is confirmation to them that what they just heard from the angel wasn't just some weird hallucination, but it was true and real. They are so overwhelmed with joy that after spending a few minutes in awe looking at the baby, they go out throughout all of Bethlehem and start telling everybody what they saw and heard. And the people who heard them probably at first were like, this is weird. They were also in awe and amazed themselves at what had been said. Now comes Simeon, this older guy, probably a lot like most of us in here. Seems like he wasn't at the temple all days, every day. Because on this particular day, it said the Spirit led him to go to the temple. It's not like he just chilled there all the time. Probably, most likely, like you and me, he had a job, had something else he did, some occupation. But on this particular day, the Spirit drove him to the temple. And he knew, because he was a devout man of faith, that the Lord had revealed to him that he would see the coming Messiah before he died. And now here is Jesus in the temple and he sees the baby and immediately the spirit pierces him and says that's the one and he goes up and he blesses the child right in Mary and Joseph's hands and imagine if you're Mary and Joseph you're like oh thank God see we had that thing with the angel and that wasn't that wasn't just something we saw and, and that wasn't just something like some weird psychological thing then these shepherds showed up at our house that's that's kind of not even our house like a, a weird place that we were at and now there's this dude coming up to us in the temple and everything just keeps confirming what God is saying and Simeon is so excited that he can't keep it in right he like in the middle of the temple this kind of solemn place like Outside the temple, it was a bit raucous, and there was things going on. There was even things that weren't great, like there was money changers and all this other things, stuff happening that wasn't holy. But in the temple, it was a solemn place. You, know, you, you imagine you go in, there's probably candles burning and incense, and, you know, the kids are acting up. You're like, shut up, shut up. You can't do that in here. You know, they weren't even allowed in there. It's a solemn place, right? And, and Simeon walks up. He's so overwhelmed that in the middle of the temple, he voices this loud declaration and this loud prayer. It'd be as strange as if when we're worshiping here in a minute, one of you stood up on one of your chairs and said, hey, Jesus is coming back right now. Look, 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 there he is. Like we would be just a little bit like, whoa. But he can't contain it. He can't contain it. He's so overwhelmed by this, this promise that he had. And here he is. Here's the Holy One. He says it so loud that this old woman and Amanda said, don't call her old. I'm like, well, the Bible does. It said old. She was very old, actually. It even put very in front of it. Okay, like this, this old woman who's there, who was there day and night anticipating it. She was waiting her whole life for this. And she had a horror background. 
She got married. You can imagine the joy that would have come with that. She got married at probably a younger age, whole life ahead of her, wanting children, riches, all these things, and her husband dies just seven years after. And unfortunately, in those times, once you were a widow, your prospects were very, very, very bad. So she's not just a widow. She's a young widow. And the Bible said that she had lived until she was 84 years old as a widow. Now, I don't know if that means she was 84 at the time that the story happened or if in general she just lived to be 84 and this happened somewhere in between, but we know she's old. Very old, as Blake just said, yes. We know she's old. Um, and she overhears Simeon making this loud declaration. And she can't contain her joy. She comes up and she, I just imagine this, and I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to add to the scriptures here, but she comes up, she's this precious little, she's this old woman, she's this precious little baby. And I, I think it is important for us to imagine the scene and not just, like, put yourself, it's a story. It's meant to be imagined. And I mean, she just looks at this baby and she's like, this, this is him. This is the one. And she's a, she's a prophet, right? She's a prophetess, it tells us. And so, what does she do? She just starts going out and heralding to everybody in the temple. He's here. He's finally here. The Holy One. He's finally here. Do you guys see it? Do you guys get it? Do you understand? She just, the joy is so overwhelming that she just can't contain it. That's the first way we see these people respond. Go back to what I was talking about in chapter 1. This just blew me away as I was reading the story this week. Back in chapter 1, I was telling you about Mary's visit with Elizabeth. As far as I can tell, the first act of worship of Jesus as the Messiah that we see is by a baby still in his mother's womb. Jesus is present in the encounter with Mary and Elizabeth. And so is John the Baptist, his older cousin. And John leaps inside of Elizabeth's womb in worship and in praise. Even a baby in the womb cannot contain his joy for the coming of the salvation of all of mankind. So what about Joseph and Mary? You know, they didn't go out and just start telling everyone, at least not that we see. And I guess I would say that too. Like, let's, let's try not to, let's try not to read too much into that. We don't know what they did and didn't tell people exactly, right? I mean, like the Bible doesn't tell us every single detail into that. So I think anything that we try to add to that would just be pure speculation and probably fruitless. But I do think we can safely say from the context that they were experiencing a joy, just a different type of joy, the thunder. I didn't know what was going on there. Um, <laughs> those of you listening on the podcast, there was a weird rumble just now. We don't know what it was. Anyways, um, I do think that Mary and Joseph experienced joy, just a different type of joy. They knew what the angels had told them. But up until this point, as best we know, the only people who were on their side in society, this very unacceptable story, 
were Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. That's the only allies that we know of that they had up until this point. So it's safe for us to say that with the information that we have, they probably felt very alone, frightened. And I'm sure that they even wondered at times if they had all this right. Could this possibly be the way that God has chosen to bring his holy one into the world? Like our whole life we've been waiting for this Messiah, this king, could this truly, honestly be the way? I mean, I remember the angels pretty clearly. And then Joseph had that thing happen with the angels. And then there was that whole thing about Elizabeth leaping in the womb. And that was pretty confirming. But I, I think if it were me, I would still be wondering if I had all this right. But now here he is. Here is their baby boy born in a very strange way and he's being worshipped by these people that he's never met and that don't know Mary and Joseph's own story. Imagine that for a second. Let's just, let's just put it more in modern terms here. Let's think about this. If Amanda were pregnant and I were driving her to the hospital and our car broke down and I saw a barn. I said, let's go, babe. All right, so I rush her into the barn, and I make a little bed of hay there. It's the best I can do, sorry. There's a, there's a feeding trough over here. That I guess would be where she sleeps tonight. He or she, whatever is born here, we don't know, because that's the way Amanda and I roll. All right, so I, being the doctor that I am, not... Uh, deliver this baby. Okay? This is all a little weird. This isn't exactly the way I imagine this happening. All right? Now, we take this baby, and with just in a few minutes, maybe a couple hours, who knows, these, I don't know, we'll just say half a dozen dirty, manure-smelling farmhands show up into the barn. And I'm going, maybe we're in their barn. I don't know. Maybe they're wondering what we're doing here with a baby. <laughs> and they come in and they say, you're not going to believe this. An angel of the Lord just came to us and said that this baby who's lying here, this is the Holy One of God. Did you know that? And we're like, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> because just so happens that an angel of the Lord told us the same thing. Wouldn't you feel just a little bit relieved in that moment? Wouldn't you feel just a little bit vindicated? And then you take your baby to, to, to the temple. To, you're dedicating him to God. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And how all these people who are holy, who have sought after the Lord their whole life, are coming up to you, and unpromptedly they're saying, like, oh, this one's special. No, 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 like really special. Like not just the kind of special you tell every new mother. Like this one's really special. I'm sure that the joy they were experiencing was unbelievable. And at that point, what more do you really need to say? Everybody else is saying it for you. Matter of fact, you maybe even have something 
to take joy in that's a little bit more wonderful. You are the mother of God on earth. You are the father of God on earth. Think about that. I am sitting here holding the God of the universe, the God-man, in my arms. Why would I want to be anywhere else doing anything else than doing that for as long as I could until he grew too big to where I couldn't do that? Imagine the joy that she must have felt every day waking up and saying, this is not only my son, this is the savior of the universe, and I get to be with him. I get to be in his presence every day. The Lord chose me for whatever reason, I do not know, and I get to hold him. Oh my gosh, the joy that that would bring and should bring. It would just be overwhelming. Maybe even so overwhelming that all you could do is sit there and gather up all these things in your heart and consider them often or ponder them as some of the translations say. And that too is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way to respond to this joy that has come from heaven as a gift to us. So what about us? Where are we at? Spent a long time talking about the story. You're like, wow, we're just not done with the text and there's, it's 1150. Well, friends, this is Christmas. It's coming. Happens every year, same day. We get one chance a year, every year, to think about, to set everything else aside, and to celebrate the joy of the salvation of the world that came in the form of a little baby. This is more than just a cute little story. It's more than just the tradition of where Christmas came from. Christmas exists because this story exists, because it should produce a celebration so big that the entire world stops and takes notice. This is the Advent season. And as is our custom here at Redemption's Hill, we like to speak about the different virtues that, that Christmas should produce. Joy, hope, love, faith. I don't remember them all, but thank God I'm at the first one and we'll get the rest of them in the weeks to come. Today our focus is the joy. So today let me ask you a real question. And then I'm going to pause after I ask it because I want for you to truly consider it. Do you... Or in fact, have you ever felt the joy that we see from these individuals when you think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth on that Christmas day? The reason that I'm asking this is because the truth is that it wasn't until Friday night that I sat down to write this message. It was like midnight, too. It was like actually Saturday morning. The reason that I didn't put anything down on paper until then, even though I had been considering the text all week, if I'm quite honest with you guys, is because 
I was lacking excitement. I'm supposed to be teaching about joy, and quite frankly, this week, I felt very little joy. I just felt kind of numb, if I'm honest with you guys. I get the opportunity this morning to stand up here and herald the good news that Jesus has come to save the world. And I didn't feel excited about that. I just want to be honest with you guys, first of all. Second of all, it does beg the question, what's wrong with you? How can you not get excited about that? Well, if I'm honest, it's because I'm distracted with way too much other stuff. That's the beauty of the season. We get the opportunity to say, stop it. Stop being distracted, but we fill it up anyways, don't we? Because there's things we got to go do. There's traditions, and we got to get the kids to this and that, and we got to have this plan with our family and buy all these gifts, and we, we find ways to ruin it anyway. And so the Lord just said, would you, would you just read this text? Just read it. So I did, and I read it again, and again, and again. I was just like, man, these people, they were so excited. Jesus came, and the salvation was here, and they couldn't contain it. You know, when the Cardinals won the World Series, um, like, 10 years ago, like, within the first minute I had made a Facebook post, within the first five minutes I had sent a, a, you know, I had called my dad, and probably within the first 10 minutes I had sent out a dozen texts, oh, my gosh, we won, you know? crazy. When I got back from Disney World in January, I was annoying. I was just awkward and annoying. I'm like telling random stranger stories about my five-year-old riding, riding the Hollywood Tower of Terror or about how I held my older daughter Zoe and we like both cried on the last night as we looked at the castle. And I was like, I love you so much. I'm glad we got to come. You know, I was, I was telling them stories about how uh, Eleanor's grandma had uh, paid for this amazing fancy dinner that my wife had set all up before we left. I mean, I was excited because I had experienced a tremendous amount of joy, and I just wanted to tell everybody, when I am excited, when I feel joy about an experience that I have had or about something that has happened, I get righteously awkward and annoying in sharing that thing with other people. And yet, I don't do that as regularly about my own salvation from sin and about the saving king who came into the world to free the entire world from the bondage of sin. Sometimes I can't even get excited to do that whenever I'm told to do it on a Sunday morning to a crowd that mostly agrees with me. I wonder if this Christmas can be different. Can we feel the joy of our coming Lord, our saving King? I don't really have three points of advice for you this morning on how to gain that joy or feel that joy. 
No, I, I just don't. I believe that the Lord's prompting this morning was, would you just tell them my story? Jesus is here. He came to save. And then the question that I would ask is can we actually be filled with this joy? Are we willing to forsake anything that would distract us from experiencing that joy? Do we even want to feel it? I mean, honestly, not would we say we want to feel that joy because, you know, that's what a good Christian should say, but do you actually want to be filled with the joy of your salvation? I faced that real question as I was preparing this. Do I even want to be filled with the joy of my salvation? Can this Christmas be different for us? I want you to imagine what it would look like if they were. If after the Christmas holiday, where we had taken the time to, like the shepherds looking at baby Jesus, or Anna sitting there looking at Jesus, or Simeon, after we had taken the time to experience the joy of our salvation of this coming king, and to take it in, what would it look like for us following Christmas if we truly did that? Maybe whenever our coworkers asked us what our Christmas was like, instead of telling about all the gifts and the family awkward encounters that we had and even probably gossiping about our family a little bit in an ungodly way, maybe instead we'd say, oh my gosh, it was the best Christmas ever. I mean, do you realize that I got to worship the God of the universe who came to save me from my sins, that it, it was just amazing. I love Christmas. It's, it's, it's amazing that I got to celebrate this story. Imagine if instead of the night before Christmas, thinking about Santa coming and cookies, and I'm not saying those are bad. Go ahead and do that. It's fun. But imagine you sat around the tree with your wife, your kids, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, whoever it is that you're with, and what if you sang a song, not Santa Claus is coming to town or he sees you when you're sleeping or anything like that, but like, what if you sang joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive its king. What if you let this season be about the joy of the gift of your God coming to this earth to save you through an unlikely source in a baby to a virgin in the middle of a small dinky little town and a stable. Can the joy of Christ coming to earth truly be what this Christmas season is about? I'm praying it is for me and I'm praying that it is for you band's going to come back up and as they do I just want to ask God to feel that joy and then simply allow that joy to come out of you like I said he's here he's come our salvation is among us you have been made right with God our long awaited king has come and we get the next, what, 23 days to focus on that. Let's not waste them, guys. Let's not waste them.
We're also going to take communion this week as we do every week. And today I want you to consider this. On the night before Jesus died, he gathered around him his disciples and he gave them this symbol of their salvation and told them to remember him. And he was able to do that because 33 years earlier, God gave a baby to a virgin in a stable. He said to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood, and they are for your salvation. And the only reason he had a body and the only reason he had blood was because God brought him to earth for us and for you. As you take communion today, I want you to let that joy come out of you in whatever manifestation it takes. For some, I venture to say with this group, a lot, it might be more of the gathering up and pondering in your heart. But I would love it if for some you just couldn't help but herald the good news that the king has come and you can't contain it. Oh, that would be a beautiful sound. Oh, that would be a joyous sound. As we sing, would the words that we sing express the joy that we ought to have at the fact that Jesus is here and that you and I are no longer dead in our sins? Because Jesus has come and God has given us a gift. And this Christmas, we get to celebrate that. Friends, this is a massive calling. This is a massive gift, even of its own right, of the Lord, that we have this season and this time to celebrate it. And I'm begging you, and I'm saying this to me and not just you, let's not waste it. And may the Lord give you an overwhelming an uncontainable joy for this entire season. Amen.